As we approach God's word, let's, uh, let's pause for prayer. Uh, Father, it is uh, so good uh, to gather uh, together with your people, uh, to gather for a time of worship, and uh, to, to submit ourselves to your word, and especially this morning as we look at a text that is all about listening. It's all about our hearts and how receptive they are uh, to the message of the gospel. God, we just ask that you would help us to have soft hearts, that you would help us to have hearts that are willing and excited to listen to your message and to respond with obedience. And so, God, we ask that you would be present with us this morning, that you would come, and that you would be the one who speaks to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in Mark 4 this morning as we continue through the gospel of Mark. Um, And and as you're flipping open to that, I just want to, you know, talk about how cold it was this past week. It was just insanely cold, right? And and as we were getting ready for uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, these record low temperatures, uh, it seemed like there were plenty of different warnings out there, uh, all these different precautions that were, were shared about how cold it was going to be and how you needed to make sure that you were ready for this. We were told we need to stay indoors. If you're going to go outside, you need to make sure it is at an absolute minimum, uh, only in the most unser- uh, only in the most necessary of, of circumstances. And that cold was, of course, seriousness, uh, serious. And, and uh, wind chills, you know, hovering around negative 60 or so, uh, you know, it was, it was quite cold. And now, uh, all that said, I want, I want you to be honest now. How many of you, after hearing all these severe warnings, uh, after hearing all of these talk, all this talk about these temperatures, how many of you uh, were tempted to set an alarm for 1 a.m. on Wednesday morning and go- wanted to go outside to feel what it was like to be in negative 60 degree weather? Anyone? Okay, that's just me. All right. All right. All right. Um, How about any of you decide that you're going to go outside and and do like a science experiment, that you're going to throw some boiling water in the air? Okay, a couple of you uh, did that. All right, very good. Uh, How many of you just said, you know, out of curiosity, hey, I I just want to know what this actually is going to feel like uh, to be this cold? And so you decided to walk outside even though you had no reason to. Anyone? All right, most of you are smarter than me. That's, that's a good thing. We're, we're at a good spot here. All right, but I want you to also think about other times when we see severe weather coming and we have these warnings before us. A tornado warning sounds, and why is it that so many people, instead of running down to the basement, actually decide they're going to run outside and they want to go look at the funnel clouds. They're trying to find the funnel cloud. It, it was hilarious when I was in college. All of these people from California, because they don't really have tornadoes out there, a tornado warning would start, and they would not run downstairs. They'd run outside, get in their cars, and start driving around town trying to find the tornado. Or uh, last year sometime, I don't remember when exactly it was, I was, I was at the Y, and I was, I was on the treadmill, and a fire alarm goes off. And there's just this awkward moment where everyone who's, who's in that room just looks at each other, and a number of them actually just shrugged and then kept running, even though it wasn't a drill. Uh, we have this tendency within each and every one of us to ignore warnings. We hear warnings and we think, oh, that's, that's not for me, or we're, we're a little skeptical toward those warnings. We think they're, they're overreacting. I, I know better than them, and yet sometimes when we ignore those warnings, the results can be devastating. This morning's text is a text of warning. The warning is very simple from Jesus. Jesus says, be careful how you respond to the message 
of the gospel. Be careful how you respond to the message of the gospel, how you respond to Jesus' teaching, how you respond to this message of the kingdom. It's going to set the trajectory for the rest of your life. And so, Jesus says, be careful. In fact, as he opens his sermon in this text this morning, he starts by saying it twice. He says, listen, behold, or, or pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. Last week was a very crucial passage in the Gospel of Mark. We see that Jesus is making this startling declaration about those who are truly in his kingdom. It's not those who have the right religious pedigree. It's not those who come from the right family, including his own. In fact, as we saw last week, the actions of those two groups reveal that their hearts are actually hardened toward Jesus. They're hardened toward Jesus' message of the kingdom. And if Jesus' family does not repent... If the religious leaders do not repent, then they're going to find themselves on the outside of God's kingdom looking in for all of eternity. And last week we saw what it means for us to be a part of Jesus' true family. It means to sit at his feet as the disciples do in Mark chapter 3 verse 34. It means to hear the word of God and to obey it. It means to repent and to believe the gospel. To be a part of God's family. We can't be hostile toward God. Hostile toward Jesus like the religious leaders in Mark chapter 3. And we can't have this passive uh, uh, approach to Jesus like his own family. This idea that we want Jesus, but we only want Jesus on our terms. We have to come come to grips with the truth of who Jesus really is and accept him on his terms and not on our own. You see, this morning's text gives us a glimpse of the content of Jesus' teaching. It's a well-known story, one that you're probably familiar with. It's a parable, the parable of the sower. I think a more appropriate title is the parable of the soils. And this text divides nicely into three distinct sections. First, Jesus is teaching to the crowds. And then there's this middle section where Jesus is teaching with his disciples. And then finally, a third section where Jesus explains the parable. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to follow along, starting in Mark chapter 1, or excuse me, Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very loud crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, and we'll, we'll pick up what he says here in a second. This text starts the way most stories in the Gospel of Mark to this point have started. Jesus is, is teaching, and he's got this huge crowd around him, this massive crowd. Uh, most people think that this crowd was actually numbering in the thousands by this time in Jesus' ministry. But we can note that Jesus does something different here as opposed to every other time where he has been teaching, every single other time where he's been with these crowds. And what is the key difference? Well, the key difference, as we can see in verse 1, is that Jesus is in a boat. And this is significant because it underscores Jesus' focus in the moment. The Sea of Galilee is is in the midst of this very hilly area, and there's certain coves that provide great acoustics for you to to be able to to speak from the water, and large numbers of people will be able to hear. And, And so, undoubtedly, one of the reasons why Jesus is in this boat is so that more people can hear him. But I think there's a, more, there's a different reason, and it's probably a more significant reason as well. If we note in Mark chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Jesus is also teaching by the Sea of Galilee. 
But there's something different between what, what Jesus is doing in, in Mark chapter 3 and what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 4. Take a note at verses 9 and 10 of Mark 3. And he, Jesus, told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So in Mark chapter 3, we see that Jesus is not in a boat, and the crowds swarm around him in order to be able to, what, to hear him? No, to touch him. And that's because they're primarily focused on Jesus' ability, his power to heal people. And so these crowds, these masses, they, they come to Jesus, but the message of Jesus is always secondary to the crowds. And so in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gets into a boat, and he's forcing these crowds to come to grips with him on his terms. He's making it impossible for them to touch him. By sitting on the boat, Jesus removes the, uh, the ability, at least in the crowd's mind, the ability for him to heal them by touching them. No longer are they going to be able to ignore his message. No longer are they only going to be focused on his healing. Healing is not an option here because Jesus has removed himself onto this boat, onto the water. And now the crowds are faced with this option. They're, they're faced with a couple options. They can either sit and listen to Jesus' teaching or they can leave. Those are the two options. There's, there's no healing on the table right now. And that's actually the focus of Jesus' sermon, this, this focus on sitting and listening to Jesus or leaving. Let's pick up in verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So Jesus tells this story, tells a story to thousands of people, one that the, the crowds probably would have been familiar with. He tells of this sower, this farmer, who uh, may have some unorthodox methods, a bit odd, a bit wasteful, but he's just scattering seed indiscriminately. And as what would be expected, if all of the other variables are the same, it's the same type of seed, the, the same amount of rainfall at this location, the results of this indiscriminate sowing of seed rest solely on one difference, the quality of the soil. If all of the other variables are the same, all that will change the result of this seed is the quality of the soil, and that's it. Jesus finishes his story, and that is it. He doesn't give an explanation, and then he concludes in verse 9. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I want us to consider what Jesus is doing here. First, remember, Jesus positions himself on the boat. He takes himself away from the crowd so that they have no choice but to listen to him or to leave. Then he starts this sermon by saying two things. He says, listen, behold, or another way of saying that is, listen, pay attention. And then after he finishes his story, he concludes it by simply just saying, hey, anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. 
in the setting, at the beginning of his story, and at the end of his story, Jesus is forcing these crowds to come face to face with something that they've to this point been able to avoid in large part, and that is his message. There's no way for these crowds to ignore what Jesus is saying any longer. And I, I just imagine, as I, I think of this passage, I imagine that these next few moments were, were, were pretty interesting. They were, they were somewhat awkward if you would have just been a third party able to observe what was taking place. Here's this crowd. They're, they're gathered around Jesus, and, and then Jesus tells this story. And I, I think they probably just assume that Jesus pauses for dramatic effect. But then the silence goes on and on and on. And this crowd that was, that was probably waiting for Jesus to, to pick up his story or for Jesus to come back onto the shore so his healings can resume, so his exorcisms can resume, they're left waiting. Jesus stays in the boat and he remains silent. And eventually this silence becomes deafening and, and slowly these murmurs begin to feel, fill the crowd. What's, what's going on here? What, what's the point? What, what, what's, what, what's Jesus doing? And these murmurs come from, from thousands of different people and eventually people begin to leave. They're confused. They're, they're disappointed. After all, some of them have traveled for dozens or, or even hundreds of miles to hear Jesus speak, to see Jesus. And then all they get is this awkward story without an explanation about this farmer who just is somewhat wasteful as he throws seed onto the ground. And so one family leaves, and then another family leaves, and then another. And then after this unknown period of time, hundreds of people are leaving. They're completely underwhelmed by Jesus who remains silent and in the boat watching the people. Now, imagine what this was like from Jesus' perspective. Imagine what's running through his mind as he's watching the crowds in this moment. As we soon will see, this is a, a story that's all about listening. Jesus has issued this warning to the people saying, Listen, pay attention to what I'm about to say. And then he closes with this plea, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, which is a bit of an awkward statement, but it probably just means something with, hey, hey, what are you going to do with what I just told you? What are you going to do with what I just told you? And as Jesus sits there on the boat, he's looking out at the crowds, he's loving these people, he's, he's longing for these people to actually listen, to actually pay attention, not just to the miracles, but to the message of the kingdom. His heart breaks as these people begin to walk away one after another after another. See, Jesus closes with this saying, what are you going to do with what I just told you? And then by leaving, the crowds are answering the question. They're just saying nothing, I guess. What are you going to do with what I just told you? Nothing is the answer of the crowds. And as we watch this, we may say, well, well Jesus, that, that's a little odd. What, what are you doing here? Why are you being so cryptic? And we're going to see the explanation of that here in the next few verses. But here, right in these verses, though at least one thing is clear. The message of the kingdom is hidden from the crowds. The message of the kingdom is hidden from the crowds. The crowds don't get Jesus' message of the kingdom. They get tired of waiting around. And so they leave. Let's continue in verse 10. 
And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. One of the unique structures about, or from the Gospel of Mark that we saw last week for the first time is this tendency of Mark to start a story and then press pause and, and go to another story and then come back to his original story afterward. And that's what he does here. There's this story about Jesus telling people about the sower and then he, he presses pause and he goes and focuses on this private teaching with his disciples and then he comes back to this message of the parable of the sower. And like always, we saw it last week and we'll see it continually through the Gospel of Mark, that the key to understanding what Mark is teaching us is found in the center of his story. And so here, that the key to this entire passage is found in verses 10 through 12. It's a text that's maybe difficult to grasp. After all, on the surface, it, it seems like Jesus is saying that he's talking in riddles so that people will stand condemned on the day of judgment. Is that accurate? Is that what Jesus is actually saying? Is that what Jesus is doing? Well, let's continue to look at this from the perspective of a narrative. So the crowds, are, they're, they're disappearing. They're, they're leaving as Jesus is silent, but there are some who do not leave. There are some who stick around. They continue to wait on the shores for Jesus to come back because they have questions. And they want those questions answered. And when it becomes apparent that they are not going to leave, Jesus comes back to the shore. And those who remain say, hey, hey Jesus, what's with the story about the farmer? And then Jesus answers them. But before he does that, as we see in these verses, he tells them about the purpose of parables as a whole. He tells them that why he's teaching in parables in general. And that's what verses 11 and 12 tell us. Jesus is saying that for those who stick around, these people who wait him out in order to hear this explanation, they are given, quote, the secret of the kingdom of God. You see, in one sense, that simply just means that they, they're going to get the explanation of this parable. But in a deeper sense, he is saying that those who stuck around have proven or have shown that they are actually his disciples. That even though they didn't understand this parable, they, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying here, they didn't walk off with everyone else. They stuck around. They pursued Jesus until he told them the message until he told them an explanation of what he had just said. Remember how Jesus ends his sermon in verse 9. In verse 9, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's another way of saying, what are you going to do with what I just told you? And by leaving, the crowds have said nothing. Not going to do anything with what we just heard from Jesus. In contrast, by staying, we see that Jesus' disciples say something different. They say, I'm going to hold on to you until I find out. That's Jesus' purpose of parables. For those who are Jesus' disciples, for those who sit at his feet, as we saw last week, for those who wholeheartedly follow him like the 12 apostles, for those who refused to leave him, for those who refused to let go of him, they will receive what they seek. 
Jesus' parables for these people reveal the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is found in him alone. There's no other way to understand the kingdom without being with Jesus. Jesus' disciples receive the kingdom because they refuse to leave Jesus. But Jesus' parables also reveal something about the crowds as well. By leaving Jesus, they actually show their true hearts. They show that they have this mild curiosity in Jesus, but there's nothing else there. And so Jesus, when he asks them this question, what are you going to do with my message, is, is heartbroken when they just shrug and they walk away. They've shown their true hearts. They've shown that they aren't really interested in Jesus. And so, while Jesus' parables reveal God's kingdom to some, to those who seek him, they also conceal God's kingdom for those who are not his disciples. For those who may like him, they, they may filed, follow him with this mild curiosity like the crowds, but they are ultimately not his disciples. This is why Jesus quotes this really harsh passage from Isaiah here. This passage is from Isaiah chapter 6, and he's saying that Jesus' message, is, his message reveals the kingdom to some uh, who have them in their hearts to pursue him, and yet it also conceals the kingdom from those who are unwilling to follow him on his terms. In Isaiah chapter 6, we, we see that God has commissioned Isaiah. He's commissioned him to bring this message, this message of, of judgment to the nation the nation of Israel, because they've worshipped idols. And these idols, they don't see. These idols, they don't hear. And because the nation of Israel has rejected God in order to pursue these other false gods, they are going to instead become like these false gods. They're going to become deaf and blind, unable to see and unable to hear. By quoting Isaiah, Jesus is saying something similar. Jesus is saying that those who reject him are like Israel. Those who do not pursue him are like Israel. They're not following him, the true God, and so they will become like the idols that they worship, even when those idols look on the surface like Jesus himself because they're just following Jesus half-hearted. In other words, what Jesus is saying here in this passage is that we see yet again, Jesus is talking about the condition of our hearts. That indeed is the purpose of parables. The purpose of parables is to reveal our hearts. It's to reveal our hearts. How we respond to Jesus' message reveals our hearts. And so for the disciples who stick with Jesus, they, they pursue him, they, they follow him, it reveals a heart that is soft. It reveals a heart that desires to sit at his feet. It doesn't describe a perfect heart. We'll soon see that Jesus' disciples are masters at missing the point. But it does reveal a heart that is eager to obey. It is soft and receptive to the gospel. It clings to the message of the gospel with faith and repentance. How you respond to Jesus' message reveals your heart. And for those that were in the crowds that left, who didn't stick around like the disciples, it reveals that they have hard hearts. What's more, Jesus is making a statement that says, to, to hear the, God, the word of God, and to not respond in obedience, it actually hardens your heart. It actually makes it more difficult for you to, to respond with obedience the next time that you hear God's word. It makes you even more blind to the truth, even more deaf to the gospel. And that may be something that is, that's hard to hear, surprising for us to hear, but we, but we see this 
all the time in, in other areas of life. If you don't exercise a muscle, there will come a day where it atrophies to the point of being able, unable to use it. The same is true about our intellect. Twelve years ago, you could have dropped me off in Latin America and I would have been just fine because I was that close to being fluent in Spanish. Today, you drop me off there and I'd be in serious trouble. It's because over the last 12 years, I haven't used the Spanish language. I haven't stayed up to date. I've lost it. And what Jesus is saying here is that when we, we are confronted with the truth, but we don't respond positively toward it, we will lose it. What a warning for those who expose themselves to the word of God on a consistent basis. You see, Jesus' parables reveal your heart. They reveal God's kingdom that is found in Christ for those who follow Jesus as a disciple, and they conceal God's kingdom that is found in Christ for those who harden their hearts against the truth of the gospel, making it even harder for us to believe the next time that we hear it. And so Jesus, he's given his disciples this explanation of the purpose of parables. Now Jesus, he comes back. And he's talking about the parable itself, which is actually, it's a parable about parables. It's a parable about how we listen to parables and how we understand God's word. Remember, these parables are meant to reveal our heart. And here, Jesus tells us that there are four different types of hearts. There are four different types of soils that respond in different ways when they hear the gospel of the kingdom. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones that are sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Here Jesus reduces every single response to the word of God into four categories. Really just two categories. Hard hearts, soft hearts. And so as we spend just a few moments looking at these four different types of hearts, which again are just really two different types of hearts, I want you to ask yourself this question. This is the question Jesus is asking you in this passage. What does this parable reveal about your heart? What does this parable reveal about your heart? The first heart mentioned is is like the path that is hardened by constant use. When this type of heart hears the word of God, the, the seed of the word of God just bounces off of it. It takes no root and it's quickly snatched away by the enemy. These are hearts that are completely unconcerned with matters of eternal significance. They may attend church on Christmas Eve or or on Easter. They may attend church because a parent or a family member makes them, but the word bounces off of their hard hearts like a seed that's just thrown onto the highway. It doesn't take root. Their life has been hardened by the busyness of now, whether it's sports or movies or their phone or their appearance or their desire to live life right now to the fullest. And they may not be hostile toward God, but there's no interest in them either. When they hear the word, 
It bounces off the ground of their hard hearts and just disappears. The second soil is, uh, is a heart that is just a strip of, of shallow topsoil on top of, of hard rocks or, or clay. Because there's so little dirt, the dirt warms up quickly in the midst of the sun. The seed begins to grow ravenously. But then when life gets difficult, the seed withers upon the hardship. It doesn't have a root to endure in the midst of the weather of the storms of life. And, and I regrettably know too many people like this, people that I have, have led to faith, that I've discipled in my own life. These are the people, they respond to the message of the gospel with zeal. And yet when hardship comes, they become disillusioned. They get to a point where they want nothing to do with the church because their hearts are hardened by the, the hard knocks of life. And like the sun that scorches a delicate flower, what once looked like faith has now been snuffed out. There's a third type of heart here. It's a divided heart. Here is a heart where the, the seed takes root. It attempts to grow, but the other worries and cares and concerns of life just choke it out. Several years ago, I was, I was camping in, in southern Utah with some friends, and, and I saw what this looks like firsthand. I was walking down a, a dried-up riverbed, and as I was walking along, I began to see these little tiny, delicate shoots of, of seedlings. And I was like, oh, that's, that's nice, that's cool. And then as I kept walking, I, I looked ahead, and I saw what... what awaited them as they were growing up in this dried up riverbed there was also this briar patch that was so thick that I couldn't even walk through it I had to find a different way around that was coming and it was coming and growing ever closer to these young seedlings and and those thorns when they got there there was no chance for them to endure Jesus says some of our hearts are like this as well. They, they start well, they, that we have this root to endure the scorching difficulties of life. And yet, because we don't play the role of gardener in our own lives, where we don't pull out weeds to protect the young seed, the young seed grows up alongside this love for the world, this desire to have both the, the best of the church and the best of the world at the same time. And eventually, because those weeds are not taken care of, the seed is the victim. And Jesus says all of these are hard hearts. They look different, and yet the result is the same. They're, they're hearts that reject the, the truth of the gospel. And on that day, surely the crowds were filled with people who had hearts that were hard like the path, hearts that were hard like the, the th uh, thin strip of soil, hearts that were hard like those that were surrounded by thorns, and maybe that's you. you maybe you're, you're someone who has a hard heart, like the, the person on the path, that your mind right now is even running through a mental checklist for the Super Bowl party that you're about to go to tonight, or you're remembering all of the, the fun that you had yesterday, and you're just checking your watch, waiting to get out of here. Maybe you have a heart like those who had a heart of shallow soil, who were encouraged by the healings that they saw Jesus perform in those days, but the moment their life hit a rough patch, what looked like faith disintegrated into nothingness. Maybe you have made a profession of faith like, like these people. Maybe you like Jesus, but you've made no strides in your faith. There's no depth in your faith. If the storms come, then you will be capsized. 
There were some on that day whose hearts were were thorn-filled soil. Those who wanted to hear more of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. Those who wanted to hear more of this gospel and yet they were unwilling to weed everything else out. That they were unwilling to fully be his disciple. to, To abandon everything to follow him. And so the thorns choked out what had once looked like faith. And maybe, again, that's you. You really do love Jesus, but you're silently terrified of the the fact that God might call you to let go of everything and follow him. That there are certain areas of your life where you just continue to hold on and refuse to let Jesus into those areas of your life. And this text tells us to examine our hearts. Because there's a third, or there's a fourth soil here. There's a fourth type of heart, and that is a heart that is good soil. These are Jesus' disciples. These are those who hear the word of God, and even if they don't understand what that word fully means, they they commit themselves to sit at the feet of Jesus. That just like Jacob in the the book of Genesis, he begins wrestling with God and refuses to let him go. These are people who, who hold on to Jesus, refuse to let him go. And maybe that's you. Your faith isn't perfect. It's far from perfect, but it's earnest. It's obedient. And it's holding on to Jesus. And it is that faith, it is that heart soil where God's word flourishes. It produces fruit beyond our wildest dreams. It is that heart that responds to the gospel with faith and repentance. It is that heart that hears the word of God with joy and accepts it for what it is. And it is that heart to which the kingdom is given. And so as we close, I want you to just ask yourself, as we look at this parable, ask yourself, what does it reveal about my heart? What does this reveal about my heart? The big focus of this text is simple. The the kingdom of God is given to those who cling to Jesus. It's given to those who cling to Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers figured out. You just cling to the one who formed you, the one who made you, the one who loves you. How do you respond when you hear God's word? Which of these soils best describes you? Are you like the crowds who hear the message of the kingdom and and are asked, what are you going to do with this message? What are you going to do with what I've just told you? And just simply respond by shrugging and walking away. You see, this passage is absolutely a warning. It's absolutely a warning to tell us not to harden our hearts to the message of the gospel, not to harden our hearts in any way, whatever form that may take, just in case we we may harden it beyond recognition. How will I respond to God's word? But at the same time that it's a warning, it's also this beautiful statement of assurance, this beautiful picture of the grace of the gospel. You think, you see, I think the, the most powerful words, the most important words in this entire text are found in verse 10. In verse 10, Jesus is, Mark is telling us those who stay with Jesus, and notice how he describes them. And when he, Jesus, was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Mark words this in a way that the other, uh, other Gospels don't. When the Gospels of Luke and, and, and Matthew share this story, they don't word this the exact same way. They're not as explicit. Mark makes it very clear to us that being Jesus' disciple is not an exclusive club. 
The whole crowd has given Jesus' charge to listen. The whole crowd has this opportunity to respond. It is not just the 12, but as we saw in verse 10, it is those who are with the 12 that pursue Jesus. You see, if you desire to be Jesus' disciple, this passage isn't one that just says, well, too bad. Instead, it is one that says, I'm speaking to you. Yes, you. The Spirit of God is speaking to you, and now what are you going to do with that information? The kingdom of God is given to those who cling to Jesus. How will you respond? Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us to respond to the message of the gospel with faith. I'm sure there are so many different types of hearts in here right now. And Lord, we ask that you would help each of these different people here to respond with faith to the message of the gospel. That we would not be people who harden our hearts, but instead we would be soft. That we would be receptive willing to hear and to respond as you have called us to do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.